Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you that are not familiar with the series we're in, basically what we've been doing is we've been taking the top 10 verses that have been searched for on the YouVersion Bible app during the pandemic. And I get to talk about Matthew 6.34 with you this morning. Let's look at that verse real quick. This is Jesus talking. He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry about tomorrow. It's kind of a funny statement in our climate right now. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I got to speak on the verse, be anxious for nothing, and now it's do not worry, which are two tough tasks. Because if you look at what WebMD says causes worry, we're kind of smack dab in the middle of all of it. Here's, here's what causes worry according to WebMD. Stress at work. Stress from school, stress in a personal relationship such as a marriage or family, financial stress, stress from global occurrences or political issues, stress from unpredictable or uncertain world events like a pandemic, stress from an emotional trauma such as the death of a loved one, stress from a serious medical illness, stress from a secret bad habit or addiction, stress from a poor choice or mistake. So these are the things that cause us to worry. We've experienced a lot of those on this list, but then Jesus comes up and he says, but don't worry. Just don't worry about it. So I want to look at how, how we do this. And if we are going to talk about worry, we got to understand that there's a reason why we worry. In fact, there's two common myths that worriers tend to believe, and I want to give them to you this morning. The first myth is this. People who are naturally high worriers report they actually prefer it that way because worrying about things help them feel braced for the worst. So if I'm worried about it, if I'm thinking about it, if I'm stressed out about it, I'll be prepared for it. That's one reason why we worry. We feel like it's preparing us for something. Number two is this. People may believe that worrying about a problem is similar to problem solving. So if I'm constantly worrying about something, I'm constantly trying to think of solutions for that problem. And being worried about it is a good thing because then I can problem solve. Well, when you dig a little bit deeper into this, in fact, I did some research online, I found a professor of psychology, and this is what she has to say about these two myths. Listen to this. I quote Dr. Lyra, PhD, professor of psychology. She says this, while worrying may reduce the immediate emotional impact of a negative event, Research shows that unbridled worry can wreak havoc in our lives, leading to relationship problems, 
impaired work and school performance, and even long-term medical consequences from carrying around all that stress. Furthermore, feeling a need to keep your emotional guard up all the time can make it really hard to simply relax and enjoy a good mood. It makes it tough to stay present moment focused. In a new study, we tested whether people were better at solving a real life problem if they worried about it or thought about it in a more objective, less catastrophic manner. We found that people who had worried about their problem generated less effective solutions than did those who had engaged in objective thinking. Also, those who worried beforehand still felt worried and anxious after solving the problem. So rather than feel a sense of relief, they were still worked up over the issue. On top of that, the more people had worried about their problem beforehand, the less they intended to actually carry out their solution. So overall, research shows that our positive beliefs about worry just don't hold up in the long run. So we worry in in an effort to control. It's really what it is. We worry about things in an effort to figure them out, control them, If I worry about it, I'm thinking about it, and maybe I'll be prepared for it, and I'll be able to solve it. We come to find out research shows us that's just simply not true. So what do you do? What is the solution to all this? Well, this same PhD, she gave us a little solution, and I quote her. She says, you can try to trust in your ability to handle negative events if and when they happen. Now, I love that if and when, because most of the thing, I think it's 80% of the things we worry about never actually happen. But if and when they happen, then she says, you'll be much, more, much better equipped to deal with it coming from a calm and objective state than if you're already all worked up. You might even be better at solving problems and more open-minded about trying out your solutions. If you try to refrain from worrying about them, Plus, it will be easier to return to a more pleasant emotional state if you're more used to being in that state. So this is what a professor of psychology who studies human behavior and the brain has to say. But Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. In Matthew 6, 34, listen to what he says again. This time I'm going to read out the Passion Translation. He says, refuse to worry about tomorrow. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. He gave us this great advice way before we had any kind of professors of psychology really studying the brain. He knew it, and he was trying to offer us wisdom. And I want to give us a few practical steps this morning of a couple things we can do to avoid worrying so much about the future. Number one is we need to realize that our circumstances can change quickly. Circumstances change quickly all the time. It's life group season, so I figured I'd share a life group story from my own life group. I happen to lead a men's golf life group. We play golf at Sanctuary Lake every Tuesday night. And a few weeks ago, we were playing golf, and we started out 
on the first hole, and I took a seven on a par four. Now, for those of you who don't know how, that much about golf, that's not good. It's not a good score. So I took a seven on a par four, and I was worried about it at that point. I wanted to make a three or a four or at worst a five on that hole, and I made a seven. So all of a sudden, after the first hole, I'm thinking my whole golf score is going to be ruined for today. This one bad hole is going to ruin my entire score for the round. I start worrying. I better par the next hole. I better get better scores. I better turn it around. And then I had a bad hole on the second hole, probably because I was worrying so much about it. Golf's a big mental battle, for sure. (laughs) After hole number two, something happened. All of a sudden, a storm came out of nowhere. A really nasty storm. And where we happened to be on the golf course, there was two of our golf groups back to back, about seven of us. And this storm came on us. And apparently the clubhouse, they blew a fog horn, but none of us heard it, like a horn to come in. But because we were back in the woods, in a bunch of trees, and the wind was blowing, we didn't hear this fog horn. So everyone on the golf course is going in, apparently, but we were just standing there. So we thought, hey, it's a little bit of rain. We've been on golf courses during rain. We're men. We can handle this. We're tough out here. So all of a sudden, the rain starts to pour. The winds blow up to 30 miles an hour. We're tucked behind a bunch of trees, not really where you want to be. Lightning is striking, thunder is rolling, and we then had a thought, why don't we check the radar and see where we are? So we got our umbrellas out, we're all getting pounded with rain, our golf carts are pulled up, and as we're checking the radar, I hear a tree begin to crack. And I'm watching this. I look to my left and this tree begins to fall right towards the cart path where two of our carts, three guys, four guys are parked or sitting right there in their carts and this tree begins to fall right at them. And I think to myself, that's all I could pretty much do. I wanted to warn them. I wanted to say tree, but I just, it just, I was just like, It's coming down. I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, it hits the top of their golf carts. And it smashes in the golf cart tops. I have a picture of it, I think. Those guys were sitting there. And luckily, the tree hit one cart and then the other. And I think because there were two golf cart tops there, it prevented it from completely breaking through. And the tree did hit, or the top of the golf cart did end up hitting the guys in the head, but not hard enough to do anything but cause a few scrapes and bruises. So we're sitting in the middle of the storm, rain is pelting us, winds are blowing, we have adrenaline from a tree that just fell on our carts. Now we have to push this tree off the carts in order to move our carts so we could get out of there. 
And so all of us guys, it was funny, we had one cop in the group and he took over. You, you do this. You, you're going to do this. And so we're all out there and, and we just take this tree and we push it off the golf carts. We get in our carts and we head back to the clubhouse. On the way back to the clubhouse, I mean, it is pouring with rain. And then all of a sudden, it's hailing. We're getting pelted with hail. And if you think I'm exaggerating, I have seven witnesses of this event. You can talk to any of them and they will corroborate my story here. But the wind, the hail is, and this ride to the clubhouse, it was probably about a five minute ride, but it felt like an eternity. Like, are we going to make it (laughs) to the clubhouse? I'm driving down the car path and this water is literally splashing. There's water so much on the ground. It came down so quickly, it's splashing over our carts. So we finally get back to the clubhouse and we walk into the clubhouse drenched, head to toe, and everyone's just sitting there nice, warm, and cozy. They're like, you didn't hear the foghorn? No, we didn't hear the foghorn. But you know what? All of a sudden, my seven on the par first hole, I didn't really care about. <laughs> That's how quickly circumstances change. We're worried about one thing that seems like a big deal, but it's really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. This is what we do, is we worry, 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 but we don't realize that our circumstance can change just like that. And the things we spend so much time worrying about are no longer a big deal anymore. In fact, sometimes they're trivial in comparison to what the real big deal things in life are. Storms come, but guess what? 30 minutes after that crazy storm, the sun was out, shining. That's what happens. Our circumstances can change. I know some of you have experienced some tremendous pain, some hard things in life, but I want to tell you, circumstances can change. They're going to get better. They're going to improve. The light will come. We got to just believe that, that it helps us to have peace and not to worry. Megan and I always say to each other, hey, let's control what we can control and let go of what we can't. Because if we're constantly gripped down on control with things we cannot control, we're going to be in a constant state of worry, anxiety, fear, anger. And those negative emotions wreak havoc on our health and on our souls and our spirit. So the truth is, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. And I believe he knew circumstances change and they change quickly. Number two If we're going to not worry as much about tomorrow, my second point is this. Stay present and focus on today. So many of us are thinking so far down the road and so worried and so stressed about what could happen a year from now, four years from now, five years from now, ten years from now, that we miss out on what's happening right in front of us today. In this moment, there's so many good things happening. The ability to be around family and friends and enjoy the summer months and enjoy today. 
And that's so important. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 6, 11, during the Lord's Prayer, he says, give us today our daily bread. He didn't say, pray and ask God to give you everything you need for a lifetime. He didn't say, pray and ask God to give, make all your hopes and dreams for life come true. He didn't say, pray that God will give you this amazing vision for your future and you'll go out and accomplish it and do amazing. He said, pray that God would give you enough for today. And what he's doing here is he's actually referring back to when the Israelites were in the desert. And they were in the desert, they came out of slavery in Egypt, and they were hungry. And Moses prayed and God said, well, I'm going to give them bread every single day from heaven. But here's the instruction. Tell them to take only what they need for today. Not what they need for three days. Not what they need for tomorrow. Not what they need for a week. Take what you need for today for your family. What did the Israelites do? They went on, they took as much as they possibly could take. They would gather all this bread and they brought it in their house. And what happened? It spoiled overnight. God was trying to teach them something. You have me. You don't just have to worry because you have me. You don't have to rely only on yourself anymore. You see, they were coming out of 400 years of slavery and bondage where they literally were fending for themselves, fighting for food, fighting for freedom. And he was trying to teach them, you've got me. You can depend on me. You're not like everyone else who's out there just fending for themselves. You have a supernatural God, a creator of the world, who's going to provide your needs for the day. And he's trying to teach them that. And then Jesus brings it up in the New Testament because we need to hear it too. Give us what we need for today, God. Give us today our daily bread. See, worrying about tomorrow causes us to miss out on today. You know, Phil brought it up in worship. What's going on in Afghanistan is tragic. It's horrible. It's a big problem. But here's the thing. We have a couple choices as Christians of how we deal with this. We're called to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Just like in the book of Acts, when the disciples were in prison, what did the church do? They gathered and prayed for them. They didn't worry about them all day and all night. They didn't go try to break them out. They prayed for the people in Afghanistan. We're spending a lot of time worrying about it, fearing it. What's the world, what's going to happen in our world? What's going to happen in our country? There's fear, there's worry, there's anxiety about this. Because we're thinking way down the road. 
Wow, if this happened, what's going to happen next? And if we did this, and, and if the world ends up being ugly, and then it comes over here. You know, we start going to these worst case scenarios, and Jesus said, don't do that. Think about today. Today, what I can control over there is I'm going to pray as hard as I can for my brothers and sisters in Christ and for the innocent people over there. And I'm going to give to God the rest and say, God, it's your world. It's your country. You got to intervene. It's in your hands. Because if we aren't careful, all we're going to end up doing is worrying and getting angry. I've seen a lot of angry Christians when it comes to this specific topic. And I get it. I do. It's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel worry and explore those emotions a little bit. It's okay. But we have to understand that living angry and living in worry and living in a constant state of panic or anxiety is only going to hurt us. It's not going to help anybody. It's not going to solve the problem. It's only going to make our lives miserable, and then we make the people's lives around us miserable. (laughs) That's what usually ends up happening. I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that. Life's too short to live like that. So I'm going to trust God with what I can't control, and I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy today. Today. Number three thing, taking notes, we find ourselves worrying. When you do worry, refuse to take on a victim mentality. This is what happens when we begin to worry, is we begin to think, no one cares about me. All these things are happening to me in my life. No one's calling, no one cares, no one's looking out for me. I guess it's just up to me. I'm all alone in this world. And that's just not true. And we begin to believe these lies that aren't true. And before, a long, before long, we begin to isolate ourselves, get bitter at people, get bitter at God, get bitter at ourselves, and then we become bitter, grouchy people. And that's not the life that God wants us to live There's a story in 1 Kings. Way back in this story, what is happening is the Israelites are worshiping a false god called Baal. They believe in God, Jehovah God, but they also are worshiping false gods named Baal. And so Elijah comes to them and he says, listen, these are false gods We have the one true God. You're the Israelites. You're God's chosen people. You're supposed to believe this. Well, they didn't. So Elijah said, I'm going to prove it to you. So he set up two altars. He put a sacrifice on one altar, sacrifice on the other altar. And he said, okay, prophets of Baal, your God, Baal, you guys pray and see if you can get your God to bring fire down on that altar. I'm going to pray and see if my God will bring fire on the altar. Whichever God brings fire on the altar is the one true God. Everyone agreed that this was a good idea. Well, the prophets of Baal, they tried for an entire day to bring fire down to pray to their God, and no fire hit that altar. Then Elijah, he comes, and he prays to God, and boom, 
God sends fire on that altar, consumes everything. Everyone repented that day. They hit their face. They fell on their knees, the Bible says. In fact, here's exactly what it says in 1 Kings 18, verse 38 and 39. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up all the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. God provided an incredible miracle for Elijah that day. There's a second miracle that's happening at the same time that Elijah cries out to God for. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. There was a drought. People were starving. The economy was not doing well. They needed rain. So, Elijah begins to pray and ask God for rain. In 2 Kings 18, 43 through 46, this is what the Word of God says. Go look, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab. Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, kind of like it did the golf course for us. But they were excited about this here. The sky grew black with clouds. The winds rose as heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So pretty much there's three miracles that happen for Elijah. One, fire from heaven, proving that God is the one true God. Two, a three and a half year drought that he prayed for, God sent rain. Three, he beat a young, fast Ahab in a race as an old man. He had Marvel-type speed. So he's got to be feeling like... On cloud nine. Man, I just saw an incredible move of God. I witnessed miracles, the things that God's been speaking to me. See, Elijah was the last true prophet who could hear God's voice, and he was warning people all the time that they needed to repent. But finally, God proved himself faithful. He showed up, he had Elijah's back, and boom fire from heaven. Then it rained. Then he flew like he was a young kid again. Now listen to this in 2 Kings 19, 1 through 4. Now Ahab told Jezebel, uh uh-oh, Jezebel, we know about Jezebel. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. It's a threat. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. wonder if he still had the marvel type speed at this point. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left 
his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. It's pretty interesting. He went from high to low pretty quick there. So he just saw God move in these incredible ways, but then one person says they're going to kill him, and he runs. And I know what you're thinking, because I think the same thing is like, why didn't you just believe God would come through again? He came through three times. You have nothing to fear. This person's not going to be able to touch you. You got God on your side. He brought fire from heaven. He brought rain. He gave you supernatural speed. You are going to be okay. But he wasn't. He wasn't okay. Instead of focusing on the miraculous and believing for God for more things, he kind of took on this victim mentality. <clears throat> and I really don't blame Elijah. Sometimes these guys, you know, it's easy to read a story and not understand that these are real human beings with emotional emotions and feelings. And Elijah was emotionally and physically exhausted. He had spent, he had devoted his entire life to hearing God's voice and trying to convince God's people to live differently than the way they were living, to seek God with their lives, to be led and guided by him. He spent his whole life believing that God was going to come through. He spent his whole life exhausted that he was hearing a word from God, giving it to people, but they just chose not to listen. And if they only listened, their whole lives could be different. He bore that burden for the entire nation. Finally, God comes through. Finally, people repent. Finally, it looks like he's changing. And he's exhilarated. But then this word comes. And he's like, God, enough. I can't take one more thing. I can't do it. I've been dealing with this stuff my whole life, and I just can't do it anymore. How many people kind of feel like that right now? I mean, what else is going to happen in this world? Seems like right when we get through one thing, then it's the next 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 thing. And it's like, I literally don't know if emotionally and physically I can take one more thing. Man, just exhausted from the stress and the worries of the last couple years. I want to close with one story. How many people remember the Barnum and Bailey Circus when that used to be a thing? Well, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day there was an act before all of our time, this was a long time ago, there was a high wire act by a group of people called the Walenda family. In fact, they were referred to as the Flying Walendas. And they were amongst the greatest tightrope walkers 
in all of circus history. And they didn't use safety nets. That was kind of like their thing. So what had happened, what they would do is they would, fi- they would form a four-level pyramid with four guys on the bottom, three, two, and then a girl on the top. So they would form this four-level pyramid, and they would start at one side of the arena on a tightrope, and they would walk all the way to the other side of the arena with no safety net. And this was like their big claim to fame. They did this night after night, circus after circus, all around the world. Not just in the U.S., but all around the world. Then they came to Detroit for a show. And while they were doing a show here in Detroit, as they started this act, it was pitch black in the, in the theater, And all of a sudden the spotlight came on and it was this pyramid. And everyone was watching in amazement. And about two thirds of the way across the tightrope, Didi Walanda cried out, I can't take it any longer. I cannot hold any longer. And when he cried out, he fell and let go, causing everyone in the pyramid to fall. One person died and several were crippled for life. Can you imagine how bad he must have felt about that? I cannot hold on any longer. Some of you, that's right where you're at right now. You're taking the weight of the world on your shoulders. You're trying to hold up every family member, every friend, your workplace, everything in your life, your kids, your parents. You're trying to hold it up. And you're close to saying the same thing Didi Walenda said, I cannot hold it much longer. And the thing is, when we try to hold the weight of the world on our shoulders, it's the truth. We can't hold it much longer. We will let everyone in our life down that we care about at some point when we try to hold the weight on our shoulders. But luckily... We don't have to. We've got to realize the same thing that the Israelites realized wandering around the desert is that God is with us. We don't have to do this life like everyone else who does it. We have God. In fact, in Colossians 1.17, Paul says this, he says, God existed before everything else and he holds all creation together. He holds it all together. Church, he's got us. He's gonna come through. I don't care if you've had disappointments in life and you believe there's no way God's gonna come through. He can. He's capable of coming through for you. Maybe you've experienced God coming through for you in the past, but then just like Elijah, there was a dip. 
and you're like, I know he's come through in the past, but I don't, I'm just in a season where it doesn't feel like he's going to come through. And you're like Elijah, you're like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I can't handle it anymore. God's holding you together. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says this, you can buy two sparrows for only a copper coin, yet not even one sparrow falls from its nest without the knowledge of your father. Aren't you worth much more to God than many sparrows? So don't worry, for your father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. Sometimes because we've experienced pain or trauma or loss or disappointment, we don't believe that God cares about our lives, let alone the smallest detail. But the word of God says he cares even about the smallest detail. He's got your individual situation, your individual circumstance in the palm of his hand, and he promises never to leave you or forsake you. He's got you. You don't have to worry. You can refuse to worry about tomorrow. You're not a victim. You've got God. We don't have to worry the same way the world worries because you know what? It's only going to make our lives miserable. Instead, when we're tempted to worry, let's just stop and say, you know what, God? I refuse to worry about a day that hasn't even come yet. I'm going to stay present in today. I'm going to enjoy today. And I'm going to trust you with the smallest details of my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your great love for us, for your words that are actually promises to us, that you know the smallest details of our lives, that you got us even when we're hurting, even when we've experienced loss and pain and we don't think we can make it another day, even when we're as down in the dumps as Elijah was, this man of God, this man of faith who knew you, who walked with you, but he just had had it with the pressure of this life, Lord. When we're like that, I pray you would just infuse some joy, infuse some love, and infuse your spirit in us, Father. We need it, God. We need it. We need to know you're with us and you're leading us and you're guiding us and you're speaking to us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.